This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3RRR-FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with Professor David Lindenmeyer. David is a world-leading forest scientist, and he joined me to discuss his new book, The Great Forest, The Rare Beauty of the Victorian Central Highlands. David also discusses his most recent scientific research on the mountain ash forests and ecosystems of the Central Highlands. He also shares the ongoing problems with native forest logging in Victoria. I'm so pleased to welcome back onto this program Professor David Lindenmeyer, who is a landscape ecologist and conservation biologist. He is based at the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the ANU College of Science. And David has co-created a fantastic book. It's a very heavy, hardback, beautifully photographed, illustrated and written book called The Great Forest, The Rare Beauty of the Victorian Central Highlands. It features photographs by Chris Taylor, Sarah Rees and Stephen Cuter. And it's been published by Alan and Unwin. We are going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about the very interrelated subject matter of David's wonderful science, the work that he's been doing with colleagues at the ANU on the Victorian Central Highlands, but also more broadly about native forest logging. So we're going to talk about a whole range of issues. But I did want to just welcome back onto the show Professor David Lindenmeyer, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us again. I know many listeners are very grateful to be hearing your voice. Thank you, Amy. It's great to be here and I look forward to chatting for the next half hour. This book, first of all, it really is such a a gift, I think, and I'm so glad that you've done it and created something which we can hold on to because, as we know and we've discussed on this show, the Victorian Central Highlands are a rare beauty. It is exactly as the subtitle says. And there is a reason why there has been a big push over a number of years to create a great forest national park that surrounds and and involves the Victorian Central Highlands, the beautiful mountain ash trees, but also the much more broader ecosystem, those really beautiful rainforests. And yeah, there's so many lovely aspects, especially I'm thinking also the superb lyrebirds, the most obvious ones, the leadbeater's possums, the greater gliders. So there's so many wonderful elements. But one thing I was also really struck by is the fact that also the understory and the forest floor was included in this book. So we also see beautiful pictures of fungi and discussions of the mycelial network. And I wondered if you could share with us why you decided to create this really beautiful book and something that is very timeless, something that seems to contribute a lot, I think, to our understanding of just how special this beautiful forest is only one hour out of Melbourne. Well, this is really a COVID project. And and so I was I was in Canberra, but I felt for many of my friends and colleagues in Victoria that were undergoing sort of really serious lockdown issues. And so I started talking to Chris Taylor and Sarah Reese about imagery from the forest. And Sarah had raised the idea of producing a book. And that was really triggered by uh, one of our small donors who suggested that it was really important to, to actually bring the beauty of these forests to more people. And, and really in the midst of fires and floods and disease and everything else that was going on, we actually really wanted to indicate to people that the world is still a beautiful place. And there are still many very, very good people within 
in the world and really to portray a message of hope that these, these forests are really worth conserving. They are beautiful and it's important to, to understand that there is hope in the world. So that's really where that project started. And I really hope that through the imagery, we've been able to bring the forest to more people. But at the same time, we made a lot of effort to ensure that every image is accompanied by which nation it's on, either the Wurundjeri people, the, the Tanarong or the Gunakurnai. And, you know, those people have never actually been consulted about how their forest is being used. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that that that, that hasn't happened, but it needs to as part of treaty and as part of reconciliation with, uh, with our First Nations peoples. Indeed, absolutely. There are so many really amazing species of plants, for example, that even as someone who has been out into those forests, I, you know, at different times of the year, probably miss some of these species and wouldn't have seen them. And one of them that's so charismatic uh, when you see it, and it's on Wurundjeri country, which is the fringed lily, there are so many of those really gorgeous native flowers that exist and that just pop with colour that perhaps either if they're too small or they're flowering at a different point in the year and we're not there, we might not get to see. But that's what I loved about this book is because it's bringing together so many different aspects of the forest, you know, the flowers, the fungi, the different kinds of trees, the different animals. And I wondered, are there some species that you were particularly struck by or, you know, that you particularly loved to have the inclusion of in this book because it's, you know, charismatic to you, because it it strikes a chord with you and is something that you're particularly passionate about scientifically or even personally? Uh, There are many images. And, and many parts of the book that really resonate in many ways, like the last nearly 40 years of my life has been connected with those forests, dating right back to July 1983. And it's one of my favourite things to do, to be in those forests, particularly to count birds, because that's a very peaceful thing to do. And so it's, it really resonates deeply with me, that the, different, uh, the different flowers that come out at different times of the year, but also the, the incredible range of of mosses and lichens and many of those bryophytes in that system. And I think really what's happened here is that this is really science meets art. And and the way that Sarah, Chris and Steve have taken photographs is really interesting in the sense that um, Sarah has training in in the arts, Chris has training in photography, and, and Steve is very much a technical person. And you can see the different imagery that's captured by them and the different ways that they connect and, and relate to the landscape in this space. And, and whether it's the, the drone imagery from Sarah, the extensive landscapes from Chris, or the animal close-ups from Steve Cooter, it, it really does present the forest in a different perspective than you might otherwise see. Yeah, totally. And there are obviously those beautiful photographs that are quite epic. There's one photograph I'm thinking of that has a night sky and it's called Burned Mountain Ash Stand at Night on Wurundjeri Country by Chris Taylor, which shows this beautiful night sky with the stars and these large old growth trees that are left and that these trees are still important because they remain vital habitat for the animals that are left there, you know, the hollow bearing trees. So there are so many of those really beautiful 
photographs and, of course, the birds there that you mentioned, um, the flame robin by Stephen. But there's also photographs of the destruction that's caused either through natural disturbances like these really extreme bushfires, but also through native forest logging. And Chris Taylor has captured that devastation really beautifully, as has Sarah Rees. Could you reflect on some of that visual representation of what kind of destruction those forests have felt over the last couple of decades at least? Yeah, I think I think one of the really jarring parts of the book is the juxtaposition of uh, what's undoubtedly one of the most spectacular forests in the world in an intact form. And then when you see what happens when a forest is logged and there are so many so many science aspects to the problems that, that are created by intensive clear logging throughout this system. And so that, that part of the book is really important for people to realise that this kind of destruction of the forest is taking place just an hour's drive from the MCG. And, and the impacts on water, the impacts on fire, the impacts on biodiversity, the, the impacts on so many different things, including carbon and climate change, are really quite profound. And they're really at Melbourne's doorstep. And so, so the absurdity now, the economic absurdity, and really what's environmental bastardry and vandalism that's taking place so close to Melbourne is, is really quite confronting in the book. And I think it's, it's really a, a call to people to recognise that if we want to do something serious about climate change, if we want to do something serious about biodiversity, then it's damn well time to stop logging native forests. And you know, the Victorian government has said that it's going to exit native forest logging by 2030. I want to see more evidence that that's really going to take place. But beyond that, we actually should be exiting next year, at the end of next year, like they are in Western Australia. It's just absurd for such a loss-making industry to continue, which has so many other aspects of collateral damage on uh, increasing fire risks, on carbon emissions, on tourism, on biodiversity, you know, you name it. But there is no sense in continuing to manage the forest in this way. And that's why we, we wanted to juxtapose the beauty of the forest versus the absolute destruction at the other end of the spectrum. Yeah, it's so true. And it reminds me of that moment where I heard the Western Australian government had actually consulted its population, had said do you want us to exit native forest logging? It was a resounding yes from the Western Australians. And so the Mark McGowan government decided, well, we're not going to wait. Uh, we're going to do it almost immediately with a, a year or two of transition. And it, it takes me back to, I think, our very first phone conversation on Uncommon Sense when you were saying we have plantation forests and we have the ability to transition much faster or even now away from native forest logging and to plantation forests in Victoria. Is that still your view? You know, because it, it shocks me to think we were having this conversation, you know, in 2017, and I'm sure you've had the conversation much earlier than that, and we're still talking about it with Western Australia doing something, you know, totally different. Yes. Well, what happened in Western Australia was that the industry there made a pitch to the government for yet another handout to keep it going. And government decided, with public opinion behind it, that it was time to exit. It was no longer going to continue to fork out massive subsidies to keep it going. And I can say that the, the industry in Western Australia received very little subsidy relative to what it receives in Victoria. 
So this is true insanity, what's taking place now, especially as Victoria already grows 3.9 million tonnes of plantation eucalypt pulp logs, but it exports 75% of it, 2.9 million tonnes. So there is the option to process much of that material in Victoria. So Victorian timber processed in Victoria for Victorian jobs. And so we can transition the industry quickly. We can have extra employment in new industries, a carbon industry, because we know that the carbon is worth a lot more than the wood chips and the paper pulp, remembering that 87% of everything that gets cut in the Victorian native forest sector actually goes to wood chips and paper pulp. And we can have extra employment in a carbon industry, extra employment in a tourism industry, extra employment in regenerating the forest and extra employment in elite firefighting services that are going to be needed in those systems. So there's win-win outcomes here. All we need is for a government to grow a spine and take us in a different direction. It'll be positive for tackling climate change. It'll be positive for tackling biodiversity decline. It'll be positive for jobs. It'll be positive in so many other ways. So we've really got to, to, to ditch this process of major subsidies to industry. You know, there was just another big handout to nip on paper just the other day. And this is really nonsensical to be wasting taxpayers' money in this, in this way. You know, this industry has had almost a billion dollars of handouts in the last few decades. Just think of how many hospital beds that is, how many aged care places, how many doctors, how many nurses, how many teachers, all of those kinds of things. This is not a good use of public money to be managing a, a natural asset in this way. Absolutely. It does make me think of a similar situation where we supposedly have a gas shortage, but we're exporting the majority of our gas overseas. It's a really silly argument. And as you point out, we could be redirecting that to the local market and perhaps we should be doing that. I wanted to address one of the issues that I know has been raised by a number of environmental groups, including the Victorian National Parks Association and others here in Victoria, and that is the idea that the Andrews government had committed to setting aside a certain amount of area to be protected as national parks within Victoria and there are areas that that association have been pushing for, such as in the central western areas near Bendigo, where when I was out there, it was quite upsetting to see all the logging going on actively there. It's quite confronting seeing that, but it's also surprising to compare the legacy and the records of the previous Liberal governments to the Labor governments. And I wondered, could you address that for us, this idea of setting aside areas in the reserve system in Victoria and what the current status is with the Labor Andrews government? Well, prior to the Andrews government actually being elected, Minister Neville, she was shadow at that stage, actually promised that they would deliver on a Great Forest National Park in that first term. Now, that has not happened. And actually, the record on additional protection of forests and other environments from the Andrew gov Andrews government is actually poorer than even previous coalition governments, such as that left by Jeff Kenner. And so this is actually a real breach of core election promises especially when we see the extent of losses that are taking place in terms of biodiversity, the economic losses from the industry, we know that there's a better outcome here and policy really needs to change. It is ridiculous to keep kicking the tin down the road until 2030 
understanding that ongoing logging in Victoria's native forests is equivalent to about 730,000 motor vehicles emissions every year. So seriously, if the government of Victoria is really dedicated to tackling the problem with climate change, then the best and nearest, most substantial change that they could make would be to exit the native forest logging industry. That would be the biggest carbon abatement project by probably an order of magnitude in the state if they were to make that change. And their own policies tell us just how much carbon is being emitted through logging native forests. You know, it's over 730,000 motor vehicles worth of emissions. So there are some substantial changes that can be made here relatively straightforwardly without huge losses in jobs, in fact, creating new jobs to take us in a different direction. And I really believe that it's time to do that, given the disastrous forest policies that we've had for the last 10 years. Indeed. And in terms of the Victorian government and the specific areas that they're meant to be protecting, or at least the amount, the land mass that they're meant to be protecting of what they promised, are they under-delivering not just on the Great Forest National Park, but also in other areas across Victoria? Well, I'm not as qualified to speak about areas outside of the Central Highlands. But what I do know is that some of the most important areas for forest biodiversity in Victoria are also those areas that are slated for logging under the timber release plan. And so what we know is that a protected area network is inadequate and not representative and not going to protect all the elements of biodiversity that it needs to. So it does not conform to what we call the CAR principles, that's comprehensive, adequate and representative, that were agreed to by the Victorian government as part of signing up to the regional forest agreements. So really a key issue here is that our levels of protection are much, much less than they should be. Those level, existing levels of protection are inadequate to conserve biodiversity and that the ongoing impacts of logging in areas of high conservation value, which we have analysed, will drive a whole series of species closer to extinction. So we don't need to do this. We can ex exit the industry within the next year. We can provide the safety net for workers to be able to transition to other things. And we can have positive climate outcomes, biodiversity outcomes, employment outcomes, and, and overall lead to a better economic state for Victoria. We know from the Parliamentary Budget Office that exiting the industry would mean that Victoria is about $200 million ahead on where it is now. And I wanted to actually also touch on an area that I know you've been discussing recently and you've done some wonderful content with the ABC talking about these gorgeous forests and, you know, Tulangi is such a special, special place. But it also clearly, as you've referenced, has a very important function ecologically, but also practically we are relying on these forests for our water here in Melbourne. And you described it so well that I was hoping you might recount what this forest means for Melburnians and our water, because even if we're not motivated by conservation values, surely we should at the absolute minimum be motivated by, you know, self-interest, which is sad, but at a political level, surely we should want to protect the water that we're using. So could you share with us that aspect as well? Well, we know that almost all of the water for Melbourne comes from these wet forests to the, to the east and the northeast of Melbourne. And we know that the most water comes from the oldest forests. So as 
responsible catchment managers, we should be trying to make sure that the forest is as old as possible for as long as possible. We know that young forest that's regenerating either after fire or after logging uses a lot more water. In fact, in biggest catchment of all, the Thompson catchment, logging effects significantly outweigh the effects of climate change. And we know that if we keep logging some of those catchments, we will be losing the equivalence of 650,000 people's worth of water, which is equivalent to a city the size of Geelong. Now, if we continue to do that, that means that we have to offset those losses with water from other places, and that will come from desalination, which has very high greenhouse gas emissions and is also very costly to produce. It's about $63 million a megalitre. So, so really, economically, if you care about water, which is, what, 60% of your body mass, then you should care about where that water comes from. That water comes from these forests, and the best way to maintain the security of the water supply for Melbourne is to maintain intact forests and not log them. Indeed. Now, just to close out the conversation, David, there had been reports recently around Victoria's logging agency, Vic Forests, and claims that the ABC reporting that the logging company illegally cleared 1,000 square metres of protected possum habitat and broke the law in 25 out of 30 logging areas. That's according to a government-commissioned audit. Could you share with us what that essentially is telling us about the way that even the logging that is supposedly being allowed to happen is affecting the ecosystem and um, and damaging and threatening the species there? So we've actually been analysing this in several ways. So we've been analysing government data layers that relate to where the forest has been logged, how steep that forest is, but also where, where we are supposed to have what's called code exclusion areas where places are not supposed to be being cut. And what we've discovered, for example, in some of the catchments is that up to 75% of logging coops have either logged on steep country, which they're not supposed to be, or they've logged logging exclusion zones, which are supposed to be precluded from harvesting under the Code of Forest Practice. So that shows that there is actually widespread illegal logging still taking place in the forests of Victoria. Now, instead of actually tackling the problem, what's actually happened now is that the government has relaxed the logging laws to allow logging on steep slopes and in other places. And what that means is what was once illegal logging has now become legal. But the other issue is, why would you do this? Why would you actually relax the codes of forest practice to do this? And the answer is that there's virtually no timber left. So this is really the last-minute lurch to midnight And it's having enormous damage because it's on very steep slopes. It's in areas that are supposedly set aside to conserve key elements of biodiversity like lead-beated possum. And so they're breaching their own prescriptions about not cutting country that should be conserved. So really, this is a renegade organisation now that is driving logging policy in a very, very difficult direction. And it's really indicative of an industry that really is about to collapse and would be much better off without it in terms of environmental integrity, biodiversity conservation, fire risk, all those kinds of things. So really it's time for a, for a government of any persuasion to, to bite the bullet and make a sensible decision, a sensible decision not only ecologically but certainly economically.
Yeah, and let's make sure this is on the agenda for the state election in November because it deserves to be, it should be, and I'm sure that people, if they are concerned, should be contacting their local member and saying that this is something that will be a factor for them, and I'm sure that might be one way that people could express their displeasure. Well, I hope so because uh, really taking this kind of decision will be positive for the climate, it'll be positive for biodiversity, and actually be positive for jobs and opportunities. And so really, uh, why wouldn't you do this, particularly given the extent of losses that are taking place and the the extent of subsidies that are occurring and the ability to transition the industry quite quickly with existing resources? It's so, so logical and rational, David, that it hurts. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. I really do appreciate your time today. It's a pleasure, Amy. Anytime. Thank you, David. I've just been speaking with Professor David Lindenmeyer, who is a landscape ecologist and conservation biologist. He's based at the Fenner School of Environment and Society at the ANU in Canberra. And we've just been talking about native forest logging, especially in the central highlands, the mountain ash being the world's tallest flowering plant. And it was voted Australia's favourite tree by scientific experts in an ABC poll that was recently run. There is a really beautiful environmental recording that's been done in the Central Highlands, and I'll put the link up to that on our social media if you want to immerse yourself in the forest for a couple of hours with beautiful bird sounds and more. You can do that, and uh, I think it will be a lovely way to spend time there. But now that we can get out and about, really, if you haven't been out there definitely, definitely head over there. There are a couple of really easy walks for beginners. So the Kalatha Giant Tree Walk is one. There's also a really lovely low-lying rainforest uh, boardwalk, which shows their beautiful ferns and mosses and much, much more in that area of the Central Highlands. I should also say, make sure you check out David's book, which we've just also talked about, The Great Forest, The Rare Beauty of the Victorian Central Highlands, which is out through Allen and Unwin. And as I did say, it is really very much a good gift option if you're looking for something and you know someone loves trees and forests. It is a really, really lovely book and something that you would want to hold on to and keep. I'm Amy Mullins, and you've been listening to the Uncommon Sense podcast. Uncommon Sense is a radio show broadcast on 3RRR FM in Melbourne every Tuesday between 9am and 12pm.